everyone. Hey guys, hey, I'm Pia and welcome back to another episode of In My Own Words brought to you by Common Sense and Radical. On these podcasts, we have real conversations that will benefit our communities like Manchester, where this podcast was born. Today's episode is called Us Versus Them and I'm joined by Rami, who is our very own from Common Sense Network. Hi Rami, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks for how about you? Um, I'm good, I'm good. I'm really looking forward to having you on. Um, and just like before we kickstart everything, I just thought it'd be nice for you to give like a little um, introduction to our viewers to see, you know, who I'm talking to today sort of thing. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, yeah, so hi, hi everyone. My name's uh, Rami Mwamba. Um, I'm an editor at the Common Sense Network, so a couple of the articles that you see are edited and uh, help published uh, by me. Um, my day job is uh, I'm a community reporter for the Manchester Evening News, um, and my patch, so the people that I cover, the, people, the stories that I tell are about the people of Salford and also BAME communities in Manchester. Mm. You know what? My mum went to university in Salford. I just remembered Thank that you. now that you said that. And BAME communities. You know what, before we get into it, what do you think of the term BAME? Because I was saying this in my last podcast episode that mm-hmm. um, I've I read an article recently, or I think listened to a podcast where they want to scrap um, a few, um, yeah. a few people said that they wanted to scrap, scrap the word BAME because they felt like it put everyone in the same sort of box where it didn't yeah. really differentiate like the sort of issues and problems that they faced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand. That it's also something that I've been tackling with in in my uh, day job as well, because obviously I do a lot of stories uh, regarding those type of communities, and a lot of people that I speak to who've also been facing the same uh, gripes and issues with me. So, um, no, look, I, I understand it. It's 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 often the case with stuff like this. Uh, language is always changing over the years. Mm-hmm. At a certain point in time, coloured was acceptable. Um, everybody was using it and, and then people realised that okay maybe this isn't the best language to use and I think it's, it's, that's the same as happening with BAME because you're right it has been like sort of co-opted uh, people are using it for not necessarily the, um, the, the, the right way um, I think it's a case of where people have to come again and come up with a different term and it might just get to the point where we just have to be very specific nowadays. So if you're writing about um, South Asian communities, then, or if you're, if you're talking about South Asian communities, then you have to be specific and say, I am talking about South Asian communities. Yeah. Um, Instead I just of grouping them together. Yeah, I just said BAME because my job literally is where I I will write, a, it, you know, I do group mm. those sort of communities together. So if there is... yeah community story about a South Asian community then I will write about the South Asian community and in the copy I will mention that this is a South Asian community or it's a Muslim community um, but you just just for the you know it's just conversationally and just to get the point across uh, and for the interest of levity I just say uh, being communities but mm. you know I, know I never knew it was um, not obviously it's not a bad thing to say but I never saw the problem with it now and like more recently yeah, it's, like it's been um, really yeah. like not politicised, but obviously it's in the media more as, oh, is this a term that we should be using? But um, anyway, sorry, I just really went off topic there. But to jump straight into today's podcast and today's topic, um, I think we've got a really interesting question of us versus them and this whole narrative in the media. And I know um, that, you know, you're quite regional, quite local. 
mm-hmm. um, as being part of the Manchester Evening News. And I suppose my question, my first question to kickstart this all is, do you find this us versus them narrative within your, you know, regional news station? Like, do you think that that sort of narrative that we see in mainstream media in a lot of the big brand newspapers, does it filter out into, you know, these small local regional areas? Um, I can only speak personally and from my point of view, um, I've been at the Manchester Evening News, I've been there for like just, just over a year now. Um, and um, the honest answer is no. When, when, when it pertains to like the regional uh, news coverage at the Manchester Evening News and the patches that we cover, it, it's, that's not the case. Um, it's never been the case for me. I've never seen any um, instances where it felt like that. Um, I've never heard language where it felt like that either. Um, the, the fact that the, my role, in fact, is an example of that not being there. So I was hired specifically uh, to cover underrepresented communities, communities that we perhaps can't quite reach because of however many reasons, time, staffing, or um, or sometimes we just, you know, there was no relationship there because over the years, you know, the, um, there hadn't been the time to, to force the relationship. So that's what my job is. Um, and every time people talk to me about doing my job from my um my line managers, my editors, my bosses, as it were, it's never a case of, it's always a case of get their voice out there, get their opinions out there and just represent them. Um, and I don't see how there's a us versus them narrative in, in that sense. If you're there to represent a community, I think it's quite the opposite. Uh, so personally, no, in terms of regionally, no. Um, for me, anyway. It's quite an interesting question because I feel like off the bat, people are more inclined to say yes, just because of recent you know, sort of um, news dealings that we've seen. Like, for example, I know that I was speaking to you earlier um, about, you know, like Meghan Markle, for one, like how the media sort of, um, you know, reported on her and what she did compared to a lot of people on Twitter, especially as well, were reporting what is said about her compared to like Meghan Markle. And I know that, um, I suppose this is a bit of an interesting um story in a sense because a lot of people could say well it's not because she's black it's because she's american so obviously there's a lot of different issues there because people say that it's not a racist viewpoint but let's just take it for it is for a second um do you think that the media profit from you know making Meghan markle a villain compared to you know kate middleton for example of like and we've seen so many times where there's the exact same story headings for example and you know like um one stark one that comes to mind for me is Meghan Markle when she was touching her um, her baby bump. And a lot of people yeah. were saying, you know, she was showing off that it's like disrespectful. It's disgusting that she's, you know, making like a show of herself. Whereas when it was Kate Middleton, you know, the words that were used were very, she's lovingly touching her baby bump. You know, she's protecting it, you know, her maternal instinct. And so yeah. you, like from that point of view, I think there are stories out there where people do see an us versus them narrative and so off the bat, I think that is there. Would you agree? Or would you say that like, that's just, you know, it's just profit. Do you think it's just a story? Like they don't believe in it, but they're just, you know, doing it, you know, because it's a good story. Ooh, um, I think when, when you, when you ask the question, do these journalists who write in these types of stories, I presume is what you're asking, do they believe in sort of some of the narratives and the stories that they write in? Um, you know, I can't personally say because that's something you have to ask them yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is a personal question but 
from my point of view in the way I think there was a difference in the way uh, Meghan and Harry's story was told as opposed to other royal weddings and, and things of that nature and you know it would be you know it, it would be dumb to kind of not acknowledge that race played a massive factor in that because mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day she is a uh, does she I don't know if she identifies as a black woman or she's um uh, mixed race or whatever but she isn't your typical um you know white uh, upper class uh woman that we usually married into um into the royal family mm. um so i think absolutely her uh, your her reporting on her was you know it was completely different uh, there was a lot of, there were a lot of people who there was a lot of things that she wasn't allowed to do as opposed to some had it been a different woman of a, of a different hue um mm. so so yeah i mean from, from Megan's story the the report was completely different yeah i agree on that i feel like as well that the other thing when i was i was researching this question you know looking into it a bit and I know that the one main thing that came up with, especially British media, was um, like the Grenfell tragedy and the reporting on that. And this isn't this, I think, goes into the us versus them narrative but in a more subtle way, which is everything British, I think, you know, very swept under the rug, very, you know, is it covert other than overt? Yeah, covert sort of yeah. racism. And in, in that um, regard, I was reading a lot about how the way that the British media um, reported on it, it was very disconnected to, you know, what actually happened. And they, you know, they were very late with their accounts and know what they Mm -hmm. thought. And it was all a lot, um, it said that there was a lot of evidence that showed between like 2013 and 2017 that journalism like failed to hold responsible, um, like those fire safeties to count. It was more, you know, they were, they were, I think at the time it, um, I read that they were blaming, you know, not firefighters more, but like how the whole situation was handled rather than the, you know, is the building safe and things like that. And it wasn't Mm. really made a key topic of interest. So then in that, in that insight, could you say that there is a us versus them narrative in terms of if this was, let's just take, for example, if this was a building in the area, like let's say, Canary Wharf, where it's really, you know, rich sort of luxury building where a lot of, let's say, white people um, may have died, you know, would it have been reported differently? And if so, would it have been like quicker? Who would have been held to account there? Those sorts of things. Um, I think that was an interesting viewpoint that I looked at. And especially as well, I read that a lot of the resident stories, even though they were out there and publishing, um, published online, sorry, a lot of the media had stopped looking into them. They stopped um, actively putting them out there. It was just all very disconnected to what was going on. It was all very, you know, I, I don't want to say hidden, but it just wasn't seen as a big deal. And I think mm-hmm. then does this also slide into that us versus them narrative and then almost go into like hate because obviously everybody could see how starkly the media and not even media, but third party entities such as like how, I'm not sure, like how the building associations, things like that dealt with it. And it wasn't up to, you know, a good standard, let's say. And, you know, even yeah. now we've seen in like Stormzy's performance from, you know, I think it was um, Bastonbury, how he mentioned it, like a lot of people mentioned it. So then 
does this also fall into that how it brings about hate between different communities because there is us versus them narrative in media like is that where it stems from i realized that i i just asked you like five different questions in that <laughs> one <laughs> in that one paragraph but um i suppose what i'm trying to get at really is like do you think it is that us versus them narrative is there in the bigger picture in the bigger sort of media narrative um yeah, the, the short answer is is, is yes um because for, for so long there has been <laughs> BAME, I'm going to say BAME, but, you know, no, um, black, use it, use it. black and brown communities, I'll say, because um, yeah. everybody hopefully is encapsulated in that, uh, <laughs> have felt that nationally their stories haven't been told, uh, mm-hmm. they haven't been listened to, and there hasn't been as much uh, gravity when reporting on, let's say, tragedies to do with their communities, and mm-hmm. they feel as though it's just a case of, you know, people don't care. Um, because it isn't given, you know, sort of the seriousness or the tone or isn't handled correctly. Um, like, once again, once again, I go back to the newsrooms when people say, um, do you think these newsrooms have done this on purpose? Do you think they're acting that way on purpose? Unless I'm in there myself and uh, you speak to these journalists who are writing these stories and you know that political I mean just their motivation not even political just their motivations and whether their editor has told them to write it that way we don't know for sure but all we can say is you know in the grand scheme of things when we take a look back and we compare articles like you have done in your research and when we look at how you know other stuff is, has been reported in the past and when you look at you know back to skin colour again it's, it's you know it, there is a difference it's, it's absolutely there um, and I think that is something that the mainstream media definitely has to address. Um, it's something that they've touched upon a little bit here and there, you know, especially because of after the, you know, the whole summer we had last year with the Black Lives Matter protests and uh, George Floyd's death and, and people putting race under the microscope and it becoming sort of some, you know, you know, the, the social, uh, you know, Pandora's box has opened in a sense and people are all asking questions and all institutions are being asked about, well, how do you deal with race? And mainstream media has had to take a look at itself and say, how have we dealt with it? And, you know, some, you know, if I was, um, uh, you know, and, and your, your uncle in the barbershop, he might argue that they've, they've known how they dealt with race and they don't care how they deal with it. Mm. Um, I think... What, 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 I will, what I will go on to say is, though, is the, the remedy for all of that, in my opinion, is, and I'm going to sound on this podcast like I'm absolutely rooting, like some sort of a salesman for regional newspapers. And yeah. Those stories that people are looking for are there. Um, I'll, po- I'll point to my London... Um, I don't know where exactly they're, they're, well, London obviously, but I don't know if they have like a particular patch, but my London, I know for a fact, have always been on the Grenfell story. They have, I think Mm. if you look, if you type in that Grenfell tag for my London, every month there's a different story about Grenfell and they've been doing that for for years now that they haven't stopped and they're still doing it. So, um, yeah, but but then I guess that, that begs, you know, that's where the problem is. It's not a mainstream newspaper doing that. It's a local, regional one who don't have the resources, don't have the money, don't have the reach. But yeah, here they are doing it. Um, I think before I go on to, like you said, don't have the money, I want to go on to the whole profit-driven aspect in it um, about it in a minute. Yeah. But I think before that, I wanted to say, like, I think it is hard. Like, when looking at this question, it's difficult because 
with the media, we forget, like we're from, you know, you being in Manchester, me being in Coventry, like I think you forget how white Britain is. I think because when you're part of those very, you know, densely populated cities where there's a lot of different cultures and communities and people, you forget actually how white um, the rest of the UK is. And, you know, there are people that are going to be very, um, you know, I, I want to say very like right wing, you know, they want to read these sort of newspapers that are cussing out, you know, the foreigners and, you know, the ethnic people mm-hmm. and the immigrants and the migrants, those sorts of things, because that that plays on their views and, you know, what they think. And like, for example, like Brexit, we've seen so many people voted leave due, like purely due to the fact of immigration. I think mm-hmm. uh, the amount of times that I've heard that from newspapers and not even newspapers, but like um, just from people in general, when they said that they yeah. they voted leave and we've seen it on Twitter as well, for example. And I've seen a lot of people as well that said, oh, if I can take it back, um, I would. But like so immigration on that fact. And so I think in terms of linking that to the whole profit driven thing, it makes sense because there are so many people that are advocating for these, you know, sort of views for this opinion, for this like, um, you know, this ideology in a sense, they want that. And I think it's, it's easy for us to forget that being in, you know, places that are very cultural, very like, you know, have a lot of different communities. So I think that was the one point I did want to say. For me personally, um, I, I think I have, I think I have like a sort of a nuanced look at that because I'm not from Manchester particularly. I'm not actually from Manchester at all. I'm from a small town called Lee, which is just outside of Manchester. It's like um, half an hour in the car, like an hour during public transport. Um, and that's like, I think the stats were like, I think 95% white or something like that. Um, and I think that's the latest stats. And I grew up in Lee and I've been in Lee since I think 2005, I want to say, mm-hmm. is when I, I moved to Lee. Um, so I've, because when, when, when we talk about uh, people who, you know, read these right wing um, publications and have these views and, you know, the other side of the them narrative, uh, in per- perceiving that us is the black and brown communities and them is the white community, what we really, what I think what people are implying is that it's the white working class community. Um, and then obviously some middle class and upper class factor into that, but for the most part, because they mm. seem to be like the vocal majority, if you, if you look at who um, Tommy Robinson appeals to and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so for me, I think there's, there's a lot of nuance that has to be taken as well, because when, when we say stuff like the us versus them, you have to realise that we say us and we mean us, but then when it goes to the other side of things, they look at it as us versus them mm. as well. So they have their own nuances, they have their own reasonings as to, as to why. So for me growing up in Lee, what I found was a lot of it is just born out of just pure ignorance. ignorance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong. There are people who absolutely know that the, you know, the racist attitudes that they have are completely wrong. They know that it's not the case, you know, that not every black person is one way not every Asian person is one way they absolutely know that but yeah they still have those because they just they don't like them um, but there are a lot of people who have just been either fed like you said this narrative from the mainstream media um, and then it's not just the mainstream media it's also like family and friends um, and stuff like that and just your social circle um, and then some people who just have never met an other you know uh, yeah. for, for lack of a better term and you know I, I grew up in a time where like you know, I would have friends who 
you know, a couple of years later, after spending like five years with them in high school and time talking to them about being a Muslim, being black, have them in my house. Um, but yeah, a couple of years later, they're sharing Britain first. Um, wow. stuff mm. on Facebook, even though they know a black Muslim, they have a black Muslim friend, which is yeah. like everything they hate. They have one, they know one, they've spent time with one, they've been to one's house. With one. Yeah, and, but so it's easy for us to sort of think, well, you know, you know, and, and just sort of look and make it like, make it an us versus them type of thing. Well, okay, that's mm-hmm. the side he's picked. But you've also got to remember that, you know, the mainstream media play a huge part, absolutely. But then these people then go to the social circles where, you know, they have people who, friends or family, workmates who harbor these beliefs and these thoughts. And then mm-hmm. let's say that, you know, there was things going on with their lives where they don't not not necessarily happy and then somebody tells them well the, the reason why you're not happy is because of this other person here so um i think like i said you know that's all comes out of ignorance and then also outside and, and, and factors and stuff like that but um it's important to have like nuance when we talk about them you know when it comes to the argument um because you know the, a level of understanding is is a level of ground is how we get you know it's it's definitely interesting and your your point of view I completely understand um as well like switching it you know it's an us versus them thing from every like point of view sort of thing um I think the one thing I wanted to pick up on as well because you said like profit and one of the um one of the other questions that really quickly I did want to you know sort of consider is does this come down to like you know profit and is it down to this whole motive of, you know, making money and, you know, is it a great um, starting point and, you know, for people to, you know, read these sort of articles sort of thing when they see that this like, um, I don't want to say it was versus them as well. I want to say like divided almost mm-hmm. like sort of narrative. And I know that like from looking at um, a few articles and there was something interesting that I read actually that said um, how to use the psychology of us versus them to develop powerful creative brand strategies. And we reading the article is really interesting because you would have never thought about um, this sort of strategy. You wouldn't have never thought about this psychology and this narrative as a strategy and reading it, it sort of made sense. Like for, so for um, one example, it was talking about the recent launch of Greg's vegan sausage rolls and how that provoked that provoked such a big backlash from you know like like really big hardened meat lovers who were then the out group in a sense like so if you're thinking about think about it in a psychology aspect you know they're the sort of out group and then you have the in group which are like the Greg's vegan sausage roll sort of people you know um, and then if you look at behavioral characteristics and stuff like that these out groups are so you know, they provide such an intense reaction and so against it because they perceive it a threat to their social norms. Yeah. So I think there is something to say for it being very profit-driven because anything that provides a backlash and such intense reaction, you know, is always going to be a good thing. Nowadays, it's always going to be a good thing. Like you see so many, and um, you see so many people on Twitter, for example, or people that have become TikTok famous, or um, let's say, for example, again, and I bring it up so, so much in my um, episodes, but cancel culture. Let's say, for example, someone gets cancelled because they're racist. More times it has been proven that they don't actually get cancelled, you know, for a couple of days. 
they yeah, do but sure. then that following grows and that yeah. influence grows and you know it's the that intense reaction hasn't actually done anything it's just mm-hmm. made them more profitable in their own sense yeah. and you know it's got they've got um a big gathering and a group together who go okay you know what actually i want to support her sort of thing or support yeah. them or whatever so i think there is definitely i think it is definitely very profit driven and i think it'd be naive to say that it's not because yeah. with like with anything when you have divisions um or when you have like an us versus them um you know narrative i think it's more readable and i think people like it more you know more of like the drama the intensity you know um and in that sense i think it does yeah, I think it leads it to people's uh, confirmation bias. Um, mm. You know, if you've been taught to think a certain way, about, could be like you said, it could be about people, it could be about vegan sausage rolls, it could be about uh, gardening even. Um, and you know, you you've made a decision in your mind. This is how I think about it. Uh, first and foremost, humans are very social creatures anyway, so we're going to look for people who uh, feel the same way as us. Um, and then if you if you and if you find that in a publication, then you feel like you're part of something. Um, and then that then it goes on to the honest that publication is whether they can use that sort of leverage and I'm gonna say power because mainstream media does still have power, use it responsibly and say, Hey, look, yes, we agree um, that vegan sausage rolls are, are terrible, but why don't we hear from a vegan why they're amazing and why they decided to um, eat vegan sausage rolls if, if, if you mm-hmm. catch my drift yeah. um, and I think what, what, what often is the case is, is, is too often is like I said what I said at the very beginning that hasn't been the case too too often and if they have done it it hasn't been mm-hmm. not, not to the same um, not, not to the same extent as they would if they were to berate the vegan sausage rolls or if they were to make a headline about how they're the worst thing in the world and that now they're going to get rid of real sausage rolls um, in the future um, and like I said, it does all go down back to being about profit because we live in a capitalist society. I think the pandemic has shown that more than anything that every single, not every single entity on this planet has been geared towards making money to the point where mm. when something like a, you know, a, a virus comes in, you're seeing multi-billion dollar companies you know, sacking staff and, and doing everything they can to, to to make a profit. So what's to say that, you know, media companies wouldn't do that in the best of times and wouldn't realise or find a niche or, you know, we, we all have analysts and analytical people behind the boards who see what people click on the most, why they click on the most, how long they stay on there for, where, where they're clicking from, why they're clicking it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes back down to, okay, well, if this is what people like, then this is what will feed them. Um, but like I said, from my point of view, the, the remedy is you got, like the newsroom that I am in, we know all of that. We know what people like, we know what people are into. Um, but we still just there just to tell stories, uh, get people opinions, point of views. And if there is like a dissenting view, if there is like an issue that people want to raise, you'll raise it in a... Uh, in a fair, just, and responsible way. Um, mm. And I think that's what some of the mainstream media needs, needs to take a look at. It goes back to, like you mentioned Meghan Mark at the beginning, 
okay, some people don't like Meghan Markle for some reason, and she's a public figure, then I guess you could argue that it is in the public interest to say that, you know, you can write an article about not everybody loves Meghan Markle, but then you also need to write that his other people, his people who do love Meghan Markle um, and give both stories, you know, the right attention. Um, mm. To create that sort of, like you said, yeah. over non-biased sort of viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, because... You know, humans, we're, we're like, we have this thing called like this, for some reason we have, we, everybody has, every animal has a brain, but for some reason the human's brain is like so well developed that we can create conflict out of anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I think, um, it, you know, I think if more publications, journalists realize that, then, you know, they should be act, act a bit more and they realize the power and the, the sway that they have on people, they should, you know, treat it, like I said, in a just and responsible way when reporting stories and you know definitely and I think like you said they've got so much power um there was just something like because I am aware that we're nearly um you know we're nearly coming to an end but like one of the things that I wanted to um like that I just thought about now I wanted to discuss with you and this this is going to seem a bit conspiracy theory based which I don't think is bad I I don't bash conspiracy theorists really because you know I think sometimes there is truth in what they say or what they could say um (laughs) But one of the things that I was going to try and get at is, do you think that there's such a huge profit from this us versus them narrative? Because it creates such divisions within, you know, these communities, like you said, like, let's say working class um, white people against like, I don't know, we didn't use it, but like BAME community. Does it create such divisions with them that it sort of loses their focus away from bigger issues and other matters that are going up and, you know, in more like, Higher, let's say, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, you um, sorry. sorry, you say something at the end. Uh. Oh, no, no, sorry, I was just gonna say, yeah, what's your thought of that? Like, as in the whole, um, you know, them being so against each other that this sort of, mm. you know, it, it does divert from, you know, bigger issues, sort of thing. So then the profit is in the whole creating these divisions and these divides between these communities also bringing in a whole control element you know it's easier to control people when they're divided do you, do you know what I mean or like get news stories out there sort of thing yeah. do, do you um, think that that's a or is that totally off the mark I, don't go, I used to think like that before I got into the industry myself um I used to think that you know every newspaper ever in the world is and even to, to the point to that to the control element because I think that's what one of the main reasons that people uh, are against um, you know the, the power that mainstream media has I don't think it's to the extent of, of control uh, because you know I'd, you know as much as it can uh, you know sway your thinking and, and you know and it can as I said the confirmation by side of things you know, the same time, or you know, I've seen it loads of times. All it takes is you know one story, and you can change someone's mind, and and mm-hmm. they can, and and, and also th- these people have the, the op- op- option themselves to sort of stop reading those things. Mm, um, that's true. After a while, it does become a case of. I was I was I was talking to a friend who was also a journalist about this thing. It was a case of um, I'm trying to think exactly what what we were saying, but it was. Um, this whole idea of the mainstream media controlling narratives and telling yeah. people and you know having their own you know some voices can't be voiced and some views can't be viewed and stuff well, they like are that. so like, powerful in that sense yeah. and like what they put out especially like mm-hmm. for example like the bbc 
But um, sorry, continue with your point. Yeah, I mean, back to, to, to the BBC, um, we, I've written about this as well. You know, BBC get hate from all sides of the political mm-hmm. spectrum. So who exactly is, whose side are they perceived, you know, who are they on? Because I know some lefties who hate the BBC absolutely can't despise them because they see them as some sort of, you know, right-wing, you know, propaganda machine. And I've read and seen articles in, in right-wing spaces where they feel like BBC are, are peddling this left-wing narrative and trying to change people into uh, snowflakes, as it were. Um, and, you know, this, this, this whole thing about control is, it, you know, it's... People, people still have the choice. It's, it's not these newspapers aren't holding guns to their heads at the end of the day. Um, and I'm, that's when someone says that, people think I'm sort of ignoring all the, all the other atrocities that they've done in the past and the stuff that they've peddled and, and, and things of that nature. But especially in the social media age, where you can sort of every, anybody can become a publisher, you know how easy it is to sort of plug in and plug out of certain narratives and, and you know, certain ideals and, and, and stuff like that. Um, so people have the option. They always have the option. And like you said about people, no one's ever really cancelled. So, you know, if no one's ever, you know, I think it's, it's just, I think it's just a bigger picture, just how the human nature and how humans work. If no um, one's ever really cancelled, then what's the, like, you may as well just yeah. voice your opinions in the first place sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and if, if it's a case where people sort of notice how much mainstream media controls people and is, you know, silences people or whatever it is the case, then, you know, everybody has the tools to sort of combat that. Um, and you, you see that when, you know, with different blogs and, and stuff like that, that turn up. But like I said, it, um, that's not to um, excuse the, the you know British media especially for the trashies Actions, and stuff yeah. yeah because they have done some horrific things and have said some horrific things about innocent people um, or sometimes people who ruined lives yeah yeah exactly so all that stuff happens but I I don't go all the way into that conspiracy theory about mm. how they you know they control people and, um, I mean there is a profit to be made in divisions there absolutely is um, but then again if we can you know we can point to everything in sort of everything ever. Um, you can use sports, an example. There's a profit in divisions there. There's a plus in geographical divisions. They use that. And some sports people, you know, hate other people from different areas of where they live because of that. Um, and then it goes, that then goes into the whole thing about the capitalist society that we live in. Um, and but like I always say, look, if you want those other stories, those other viewpoints, um, if you want to like plug out of sort of the hateful rhetoric and you just want fair and just reporting, mm. you know, take a look at your regional newspapers. What are they doing? What are they writing? Um, and, and I think then go for it yourself or not. Yeah, I think on that note, like um, definitely, like you said, and I just want to get across again, like from what you've said, it seems like the way forward is definitely to look at, you know regional and local newspapers and see what they're reporting because it's going to be more personal stories um unfortunately we are sort of nearing the end of our session so i want to say thank you so much for coming on i feel like all of your comments and everything you spoke about has been so insightful into this topic and you know it's like everything it's such a hard topic to talk about and there's already there's always like more that you can say more that you know you can go into it's like one of those things where it can take up so much of your time because you think about it so deeply 
But um, yeah, thank you for coming on so much. And um, I hope that everybody listening really like sort of, um, you know, understands where we're both coming from and different viewpoints. And I hope I hope they go right way and like read their local newspapers, you know, and you yeah. know, sort of, like maybe they might get more insight from them rather than, you know, mainstream media, like we said. But um, yeah, I just want to say thank you again for coming on. Mm-hmm. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. No, yeah, it was really good. It's, it's a different way to end uh, your weekend, but um, there, there. <laughs> so, yeah, um, thank you for having me. Everyone, no, honestly, and I just want to say to everyone listening: if you did enjoy, please follow, please subscribe, and please follow our socials because you know we're updating you about all of our different content. And like Rami being, you know, an editor, he's probably got some great, you know, posts out there and you know um, articles. So please read them. Please engage with us. Please, if you've got any questions or anything that you want to ask, you know, tweet us um, or, you know, speak to your friends about these sorts of topics as well. See what they think. You know, they might have really interesting opinions. And like us, for our starting point to our end point, you know, it took so many turns. So you never yeah, know yeah. where you're going to land on um, yeah. sort of thing. But again, thank you and bye. Yeah, yeah.